There we go. That's better. Good morning, all. (laughs) My name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Knox. And on behalf of all who are part of this community, great to worship with you today, both those who are here in person and those who are joining us online. Well, once the quarantine began back in March of 2020, one thing became clear. All of us, all of us would have to come to terms with technology whether we liked it or not. Suddenly, if you wanted to see extended family members, if you wanted to, for example, go to school or have your children go to school, if you wanted to go to church, if you wanted to connect with friends, you had to do that through technological medium like computers or smartphones or tablets. All of us, in one way or another, had to say, okay, computer. Okay, computer. Some of you will know that that title refers to a rock album from the 1990s by a band called Radiohead, one of the great rock albums of the 90s. And in that album, Radiohead explored both the promises and perils of life in the computer age. They celebrated technology like an airbag that could save lives. And they lamented the anxiety and isolation that seemed so prevalent in this new day, that day of computers they described. That era is what we are all in now, aren't we? If we thought that we could hold off from entering it, certainly the pandemic pushed us right over the edge, and now we are there, into the computer age. Last Earlier this week, I got to visit Monta Vista Grove Homes. They're now allowing vaccinated visitors to come. And I got to visit one of our members who is in his 90s, Bill Hansen. And when I came to his room in the hearth to visit him, he got up to welcome me in from his desk where he was at his computer. That's where he attends church now. That's where he dialogues with friends. That's how he interacts with other people. And he is in his 90s. He's saying, okay, computer. I then went to see Bryce and Phyllis Little. And Bryce and Phyllis Little, I know you're joining us right now online, and we get to see them during the virtual coffee hour after worship each week. And they also have learned how to navigate these technological devices, even though they are staying in a retirement center. Even those in retirement communities now have to say, okay, computer. And so, I want to start a new sermon series today that looks at faith and technology. And I've entitled the series, OK Computer. Because it seems to me we've all had no choice but to interact with technology. And so I want to look with you not at the question of whether or not to embrace technology, but how to embrace technology. How to embrace technology. For it seems to me we still have choices in this computer age. We have choices about how we look at technology, whether we see it as our salvation, whether we see it as our demise, or whether we see it as some complex mix of promise and of perils, opportunities and obstacles. We can choose which technological tools to employ and which not to employ. We can say, okay, computer, but still choose when to use technology and when to set it aside. 
And in the vast array of symbols and ways of seeing the world that technology has brought us, we can decide which of those symbols and ways of seeing the world we want to embrace, which can in fact be redemptive and which can't. I'm grateful to the Reverend Dr. Todd Bolsinger who will be preaching the second sermon in this series next week. For today's sermon, the first in the series entitled OK Computer, I want to look with you at some of our Savior's words from Luke about the gospel, that core message of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to think with you about what it means to hear, understand, embrace, and proclaim that gospel in this day in our computer age. The passage today comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 verses 16 through 21 as we prepare to hear this passage of scripture read by our pastoral intern William Maweu. Let's pray. We long, O God, to hear your word for in your word is our hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit may we hear your voice and be attentive to what you will say to us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. No one, after lighting a lamp, hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to light. Then pay attention to how you listen, for to those who have more will be given, and from those who do not have, even what they seem to have will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It was on a Wednesday night some four years ago that I finally decided I had had enough. I was through. I was shutting down my laptop over in my office at this time. It was early evening and I was preparing to go over to Fuller Theological Seminary and teach a preaching class that I taught every Wednesday night for this 10-week quarter. And after indicating to the laptop that it was time to shut down, I looked at my screen and it said, installing updates, please do not shut down your computer. Okay, I thought, and it said, updating one of 12. 12, I've had worse, so I thought, okay. And then I watched and waited. Five minutes went by, then 10, and it had only gotten to update three. Now, I needed my laptop for this preaching course, and I'd given myself not only some time to get over to Fuller, but then a good 30 minutes to prepare the classroom for what would be coming next. I used a slide presentation from my laptop. I took notes, and there were other elements I used from my laptop for this class. I felt like I needed my laptop, but I was also scared to death to shut it down, worried that if I did that manually, I might do great damage 
damage to my operating system or the computer and not be able to use it for the preaching class or for church the next day. So I waited. Then it got to 20 minutes, and only it was on update of 7. And then finally, 25 minutes, it was finally finished, grabbed the laptop, raced over to Fuller, and as I did, I thought, there has got to be, there has got to be another way. I was using Windows 7 operating system at the time, by the way, if you are curious. Now I know what many of you are thinking already, and Annalise, I'm thinking of you. You're going to say, hey Matt, just fall into the open arms of Apple. Leave Microsoft behind. Join the Apple ecosystem and find the glory of Apple. And don't think I didn't consider that. I had actually been using Apple machines since way back with the Apple II Plus computer. Do any of you remember that computer? All right. This was back in a time when some of us were just discovering, oh wait, I can write a paper not necessarily by hand, but I can write it first on my computer or on my device. I can write a letter on my device. There was a time we weren't sure you could do that. So way back to the Apple II Plus computer, I've been using Apple's, but then in the late 90s, I started serving at Presbyterian churches that required me to use Microsoft systems. That was all that staff used at these particular churches. And in making the adjustment, I was frustrated that my Apple files would not transfer, like old McWrite files, if you remember that. They would not translate to the Microsoft operating system. I didn't want to have to deal with all sorts of translation issues again. And the expense of Apple products and their fiercely proprietary nature made me feel there's got to be another way. Or not there some alternative to these two enormous global corporations, Microsoft and Apple? Or did embracing technology mean embracing one of those two multinational companies and their ecosystems and their products? I wondered if there might be another way. And then I learned of something called open source. I learned of something related to computers called open source. Have you heard that term before? Open source. It refers to operating systems and software that allow anyone free access to it. Anyone can copy open source software or operating systems. Anyone can see the internal instructions that make that software run. Every computer you see utilizes internal instructions called source code. It tells the software operating system or program how to operate, how to run. And that source code is something that in open source you have access to. The Windows 7 operating system has source code. Minecraft, the game, and other computer games have source code. And often the source code is closed, as in the case of Microsoft Windows 7 or of Minecraft. It's closed. That means only the company that created the software can copy, inspect, or alter it. If I'd wanted to mess with Windows 7 and say, no, now only I will decide when the updates happen. I will decide which updates to choose. I'll even decide where to get the updates. I couldn't do that. The instructions are built into Windows 7, and I don't have access to that. It's closed source. It is proprietary. But I learned there were operating systems and software that are open source. 
That means you can download them for free. And if you want, you can even see or change the core instructions as to how these programs operate. I saw a new world before my eyes, and I thought I would give it a try. I downloaded a new operating system produced not by Microsoft nor by Apple, amazed that such a thing actually existed. And then it was faster than any operating system I had used previously, visually appealing too. And I found with this open source operating system, I got to choose which updates, if any, I wanted installed and when, perhaps on Thursday and not on Wednesday. And the operating system didn't cost me a dime. I downloaded an office software suite with a word processing program, a spreadsheet program, and a presentation program. I found it easier to use and more clearly laid out than Microsoft Office, the suite I had used before. And this open source software allowed me to share documents with people, whether they used Microsoft or Apple products. Downloaded an email and calendar program and didn't have to pay a dime. Now, I hear what all of you are saying right now. Okay, Pastor Matt, what's the catch? What's the catch? And here it is. Open source software programs, operating system, they are free, but they call for commitment. They're free, but they call for commitment. The organizations that produce the operating system and software that I downloaded, they rely on donations. Now, as a pastor, I have a deep heart for an economic model that relies on donations to operate. So I was like, yes, I am with this program. But it calls for commitment. If people didn't make donations, these particular open source resources would not be available. It calls for commitment. And another way, it calls for commitment. Let's say you run into a problem, like let's just say you downloaded an email program and one of your emails, let's just say, provided through AT&T just doesn't work. No matter how much you try to get it to work, well, there's not a 1-800 number you can call and find some technical assistant in India who can walk you through the solution. Instead, you've got to do some digging. It's not especially user-friendly. I had to look at community user groups and look for someone else who had had the same problem I did with that email program. See them ask and present their problem to others and then read about solutions offered and try those. It took some digging and took some work. It called for commitment. So, open source may be free, but it calls for commitment. So please, please, don't say I didn't warn you. Now, I share all that with you about open source, not to recommend any operating system or software. Please continue to use whatever you're using if it works for you. I share this with you for one reason. And that is because I believe in this technological age, when we're forced to think in technological vocabulary, open source can actually help us understand something crucial and ancient about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, at least as it is presented in today's passage from Luke 8, is decidedly open source. It's decidedly open source. The gospel is not closed source or proprietary. It's not the exclusive property of some multinational corporation or even a single organization or individual who holds the rights to it. 
I don't hold exclusive rights to the gospel. You don't. Knox Presbyterian Church doesn't. The Presbyterian denomination doesn't. In the 16th century, the Protestant reformers made it clear that the Catholic Church in their day did not hold exclusive proprietary rights to the gospel and to the scriptures that proclaimed it. That, they argued, should be open and available to all. Anyone should be able to see the source code, that is, the scriptures, and from that be able to find the gospel the source code for the gospel, that is the words, ministry, and witness of Jesus Christ as recorded in Scripture is free, and anyone has access to it. If you want to check out right now the core instructions for how to walk by faith and not by sight, if you want to read firsthand the liberating news of how the love of God was poured out in Jesus Christ, if you want to learn about how to quote the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of that is available for your eyes and anyone's eyes. And the promises it offers are available. The gift of God's salvation in Christ is available to you and everyone for free. You don't have to pay a dime to read it. Not a dime. Though if you, you can even modify it, as some have, and change the words of Scripture, though a warning, if you do that, if you change the gospel as it's recorded in Scripture, it will no longer be the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Galatians, Paul warns of people in his time who were changing the gospel, and he writes that those who have changed or proclaim a gospel other than the one he was proclaiming, he said, let that person be accursed. But even if we are not to modify it, we can see it. Anyone can see it and copy it and pass it on. The gospel is open source. Jesus states as much in today's passage from Luke 8. He says, no one, after lighting a lamp, hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it rather up on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, we had read about Jesus proclaiming the gospel, telling people of how the kingdom of heaven had come near. God's justice and peace, God's reconciliation and forgiveness had come near. He told crowds just before today's text the parable of the sower and the seed. However, lest people conclude after Jesus told that parable that it held secrets that only those willing to fork over a pile of cash would get to hear, lest people think that the gospel was a message for only the privileged few, lest people concluded Jesus was telling parables to obfuscate rather than illuminate, Jesus presents the proclamation of the gospel as something like placing a light on a lampstand. Anyone can see it. It's a light open and available to all. Jesus told a parable of the sower and seed to all, to crowds, to anyone who cared to hear him. Now, some did not understand it. Some didn't perceive the truth that he was communicating. Some didn't yet have their minds illuminated such that they perceived the meaning, but the light was there for all to see, free and open source. Jesus says, nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, or a secret that will not become known and come to light. The message 
of the kingdom of heaven, the good news that the work of God freeing the captives, liberating the slaves, healing the sick, and forgiving sin has been unleashed into the world. This gospel, as described it in Luke, is open source, and nobody has to pay a dime to receive it. So what's the catch? It's free. The gospel is free and open source, but it calls for commitment. It calls for commitment. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned in his day of cheap grace. He would go on to lose his life in a concentration camp, being one of the many in Germany who represented the confessing church, those who opposed Adolf Hitler in the National Socialism movement of that time. There were Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer that stood against that. Bonhoeffer knew what costly grace was like. And he wrote of cheap grace, people trying to present a gospel that did not come with a cost. He wrote, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a person must knock. Such grace is costly, he wrote, because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ in whom we have life. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is open source, free to all who ask for it, but it calls for commitment. Jesus describes that commitment in today's passage like this. He describes those who are his true mother and brothers, his true family. And he says those who are his family are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who hear the word of God and do it. Those are children of God, those brought into the family of God by faith in Christ, those who hear the Word of God and do it. If they hear the Word of God but don't act on it, well, then they haven't truly received that free gift of grace, for that gift calls for not simply hearing but doing. It calls for commitment It calls for sharing the good news with others. It calls for engaging in the world in service and in mission. In just a few minutes, Mike Veerman will be sharing a minute for mission about the work of our housing justice team and some voices we are going to get to hear in the months ahead about how we can be advocates and support housing for those who don't have housing today. The gospel is free and open, but it calls for a life commitment of evangelism, of justice, of mercy, of mission, of service, a deeply rewarding commitment it is, a spirit-filled commitment, a rich commitment, but a commitment all the same. So friends, hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ in this computer age In this digital age, in this technological age, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you, to us. God's love and liberation has been unleashed in Jesus Christ, and in him the sinner is forgiven. The blind see, the captives are freed, the wayward child is welcomed home by God's gift of grace that you receive by faith. You've been justified, made right with God through Christ and his life given for you. By Christ and faith in Him, by hearing and responding, you are made family with God through Christ, your name Jesus' own mother and brothers 
embrace this good news. Receive the life Jesus offers. Receive it anew. Knock anew and pass it on to others as the free gift, the precious gift, the open source gift that it is. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.